Christmas Day is, is almost here. Next week this time you will be sitting maybe in this worship service. Maybe you'll be visiting with family. You'll be in another worship service someplace else. But it'll be Christmas Day. And it really seems like we just put the decorations up from last year and it's already here. Uh, there was a time, you know, I couldn't wait until Christmas showed up. I mean, it just seemed like it was forever and ever and ever before Christmas got here. And now it seems like it was just yesterday. And uh, I understand that's just, just part of uh, growing up and growing older. That's just the way you view things. But, man, things really move along. A few weeks ago, we started lighting the candles on our Advent wreath as we looked forward to Christmas. And you remember we light, lit the candles, the, the hope candle, the peace candle, the joy candle. Today, was we, we lit the love candle, the candle representing love. And for most people, I think uh, we kind of put Christmas and love together. Those two kind of fit for us. That's the way we think about it. Now, not everybody. For some people, they, they don't think of it in that way. Christmas and love don't go together. But I think for most of us, it kind of does. And so in doing my exhaustive sermon research and pulling volumes off the shelf and blowing the dust off of them and, you know, looking back at the Greek and all that fun stuff, uh, I also decided I'd do a little something a little more uh, current. And so I just went in and I did a, a, an internet search on, in Google. And I just searched using the two words, Christmas love, just to see what would come up. Now, there were a lot of results that came up using those two words, Christmas and love. But among the first ones was a song by Justin Bieber uh, called Christmas Love. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not a believer. That's actually a term. Uh, I'm not a big Justin Bieber fan, although I, I would trade hair with him. Uh, but I did, I, I, I finally listened to the song. I, I put it off as long as I possibly could. I actually listened to it this morning. And I want to tell you, if you haven't heard this song by Justin Bieber, don't waste your time. <laughs> it is, I promise you, it will not become a Christmas classic. I also, uh, as I was doing my search, I also noticed that uh, uh, among those listings were a number of movies on the Hallmark Channel that had to do with Christmas and love. And some of you have seen them all. Also, uh, Pinterest. Some of you got a Pinterest account. Who's got a Pinterest account? Okay, put your hands down. Who has no earthly idea what Pinterest is? Okay, all right, that's about an even split. You could, you could consider Pinterest to be kind of an internet bulletin board, a place where if you see something you want to keep it, you just save it to Pinterest and it puts it in on various bulletin boards so you can go find the stuff later. Um, it's just so you won't misplace anything. And you can share things with other people. Well, on Pinterest, there were over a thousand. And I don't know how many over a thousand, but it just said a thousand plus entries for Christmas love. And then, of course, there were dozens of quotes, some by famous authors, some by people, nobodies like me. And then by entering Christmas love in the search, somehow, some way, I ended up with kittens. I am convinced 
that it does not matter what search criteria you put into internet, you are eventually going to get to kittens. This is some massive cat conspiracy. And I don't, I can't explain it, but I'm going to get to the bottom of it. But all that was part of my, my sermon research, so you may wonder what in the world this guy does during the week. Uh, that didn't take long to find all that stuff out. But Christmas and love certainly go together. They belong together, but we need to be really, really careful that when we talk about Christmas and when we talk about love, that we're actually getting definitions right. Because if what we're doing is we're getting our definition of what Christmas is from the culture around us, getting our definition of what Christmas is from what we see on Hallmark movies, getting our definition of love from the world around us, if we're getting it from there, we're going to be in a bad way when it comes to really acknowledging what Christmas and what love really are. And so I think we ought to take just a few minutes to talk about those. First of all, Christmas, as most of you know, Christmas is a celebration of the birth of Jesus. And I tried really hard to get Sarah Bell to time her childbirth with this message. So literally go into labor uh, during this message, but she was uncooperative. Um, but it's, a, it's about the birth of a baby, but not just any baby. This is God come to us, God in the flesh. The word incarnation, that's a, that's a technical word, but it basically means in the flesh. And God came to us in the flesh. And we think about that, and we see those manger scenes, and they're all neat and pretty and tidy and nice, and, and, but it wasn't like that. Listen, I have been in the operating room. It's messy. Childbirth is messy. The, and, and Jesus came to us like that. He was flesh and, and blood and, and bone, and God came to us. Emmanuel, God with us. He lowered himself to take on human form. And if we were to strip away all those trappings, uh, the, the, the trees and, and the decorations and the elves sitting up on a shelf or doing whatever the elves are doing these days and, and, and the reindeer, if we were to strip off all the wrapping paper and tear off all the bows, if we were to forget all the Christmas sales ads, and all the mall Santas. Take all that stuff away. We would have left all that we truly need. You see, the heart of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, is that God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son. That's God's gift to us. There is no greater gift no Xbox, no PlayStation, no 70-inch HD TV, no diamond necklace. None of that compares with God's gift to us, His Son, Jesus Christ. He gave that gift out of love. And listen, now God's love, we need to understand love. We think of love and emotions. It's all tied up together. And there's an emotional com component to love. There's no doubt about that. But we think of love as emotion. But God's love wasn't mere emotion. He didn't look at us and just feel moved with compassion. No, God's love was not passive. God's love was not intangible. In fact, God's love was active and God's love was intimate. 
God's love was active and God's love was intimate. That is the heart of Christmas, that, that God saw us in our peril. God saw us in our distress. God saw us in our sin. And his love was so great for us that he didn't just sit down and write us a love note. He came to us. He was active. He entered into our world and he did so in the most intimate way possible, being born as a baby, living among us, rubbing elbows with us, working in a carpentry shop. Now, I realize that you know, we want to be really, really careful what we put on Jesus. But you can, if, if he is human, if he's taken on human form, then you can imagine that he's getting skin knees and splinters and all the things that other people get. It wasn't just a, you know, he's here and he's kind of isolated. He's Jesus the bubble boy, and he's isolated from the rest of the world around him. No, he's in here in it. It's an intimacy, and this is God's active love for us. Now, since God's love is that way, we who belong to him, we who are his children, should our love not reflect the love of God toward us and toward all humanity? And I want to tell you the answer is yes. In other words, we can sit around and theologize and we can sit around and strategize and we can sit around and and, and empathize and say we love everybody. I would think if we would take a poll in here, you'd find that most of you would say, yes, I love everybody. Well, this is what John, who's called the beloved disciple, this is what John said in in 1 John chapter 3. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, it's not wrong to say, I love you. It's not wrong to say, I love everybody. But what John is saying is, listen, those words are empty, they are hollow, and they are meaningless if they are not backed up with action and truth. And so that's the way God responded to us, and, and I am convinced that that is the way you and I need to respond to the world around us. And if we're going to show real love and we're going to experience a genuine Christmas, then we need to be that kind of people expressing love beyond ourselves, beyond our immediate family, to the world around us. Now, we're pretty good at having parties and family gatherings. And we put on our our nice clothes and we get together and we eat far more than we should eat. Good stuff, too, by the way, because I've been to some of the parties and they're great. And we spend a lot of time, we're on the internet or we're going out in the malls or in shopping centers and we're searching for just the perfect gift for just the perfect person. We're doing all this and we're, we're just, we're just bopping along and we're having a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. And we've got Jesus all tucked away in his little manger sitting up on the, on, in our den and, and everything's good. And then big Jesus walks into the room. Baby Jesus, he's not too intimidating, is he? But then big Jesus walks in. Grown-up Jesus walks in and he speaks to us in the midst of our Christmas 
celebration. The words that we want to read this morning are found in Luke's Gospel, the 6th chapter. Luke chapter 6, verses 32 to 36. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up and read them. If you've got your little iPad or, or, or tablet device or iPhone, if you want to open it up there, that's fine too. We will put the words on the screen just in case. And, gosh, we got it all over the place. It's even in your handout this morning. And so I want you to follow along with this because these words came to me, I won't say like a punch in the gut or a slap in the face, but these words came to me like God grabbing me by the shoulders and just giving me a little shake to wake me up. You ever had to do that with one of your kids or grandkids? They won't wake up. You had to kind of shake them. That, that's kind of what this was for me. And this is what we read in Luke's Gospel, the sixth chapter, If I've got a long enough arm, I won't even need these glasses. It says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now listen, we... I want to go back and kind of look at those first few verses. If you love those who love you, what good is it? If, you, if you're kind to those, and do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Now, what Jesus is talking about is, is kind of the normative life here. What's normal? What's typical? The way things operate. That is, if uh, you do good to me, I'll do good to you. If you treat me well, then I'll treat you well. If you love me, I'll love you right back. And that kind of makes sense. That's the way things operate. That's the way, quite honestly, if we we want to be honest, that's the way most of us operate. Someone doesn't love us back, we're done. Someone doesn't treat us kindly back, we're done. We just kind of cut it off. Now, he also gets to this part about lending to others. And some of you are going, okay, now, now what is this about? And, and I do want to take a minute and talk about this because I think it's important for us to understand a, a couple of things here. First of all, for Jews, lending to fellow Jews was really not even optional. Because we're not talking about a mortgage company here. We're not talking about an auto automobile loan, something like that. We're talking about an agrarian society where people typically live from day to day. And so if you had a neighbor, if you had a friend, if there was a fellow Jew living across the street from you and they were sick that day or they broke their leg or whatever their situation was where they could not go out and earn, what would happen is for the vast majority of people to whom Jesus was speaking, when they went out and, and, and earned their day's wage, they got paid that day. 
And they would use that money in order to provide food for the next day. So suppose you get sick, suppose you got the flu, suppose you got malaria, you couldn't go to work. What are you going to do? You're not getting paid for sitting home. You can't, you can't work from your computer at home. What are you going to do? You got to rely on your neighbors, your relatives, your friends who live around you. And Jews were expected to loan to them what was needed and charge no interest. None. The expectation is you get your money back. You may not get it back tomorrow, the next day, but you'd, you'd get it back, but not with interest. Now, it was a little bit different between Jews and non-Jews, between Jews and Gentiles, because uh, Jews could loan money to Gentiles and they could charge whatever amount they wanted back. It was called usury. They could charge whatever amount they could get away with. Usury is typically a higher than normal interest rate. So you could be charging 15, 20, 25, like, kind of like credit cards. Okay. You could be charging this high interest rate to them over there. So now, what is, what is Jesus saying in this, in this passage? Well, there are some scholars who say Jesus is saying, listen, for Jews and for Gentiles, if you loan money to them, don't charge interest. Treat them exactly like you treat your fellow Jews. Don't treat them any differently. Expect to be repaid, but not with interest. But there are other scholars who think that Jesus is talking about something even more than that, that Jesus is actually being, he's calling his followers to be super generous, and that is to give even if you don't think you're going to get it back. I'm not talking with interest. I'm talking at all. I had a friend a few years back who, whose philosophy was, I don't want, I will not buy anything that I'm not willing to loan to someone else. How many of you have got that? I've got a few things that if somebody wanted to borrow it, I'd be kind of, I don't know. I'm not sure I want you to, I, I don't know if I can trust you with that. But this guy's philosophy was, listen, if I'm going to buy a vehicle, if I'm going to buy tools, if I'm going to buy equipment, I don't want to buy anything that is so precious to me that I'm unwilling to loan it to someone else because they might break it. They might lose it. I might not get it back. That's a pretty good philosophy to have in life. Now, I'm not sure which of these I agree with yet. I'm still wrestling over it. The, the words almost seem to indicate the latter. But regardless of whether Jesus was talking about not expecting interest back or not even expecting payment back, regardless, what Jesus was doing was shattering the norm. He was taking what was normal in relationships between people and saying, in my kingdom, it, those aren't the rules. That's not the way we roll. So regardless of which way you take it, Jesus is being radical here in his how we deal with other people in our relationships. And you know, the great and the awful thing about declaring Jesus as Lord and following him, it's, it's both great and it's awful, is that Jesus has a tendency to rearrange your life. Have you noticed that? When you allow Jesus to become Lord of your life, then the lines that you drew, Jesus may come in and just kind of erase those lines. When you kind of set things up all neat and tidy and in order and you've got life all figured out, Jesus has a way to come in and kind of move things around, upset the apple cart. He's not playing by the same rules that it seems the rest of this world is playing by. 
Jesus, when He calls you to follow Him, calls you to heights of love and depths of service beyond anything you've experienced before. And those heights of love and those depths of service will move you out of your comfort zone. Listen, we could have testimony time right now because many of you have experienced this individually in your own lives. It took you a while to get to the point where you were willing to surrender and say, okay, Jesus is not only my Savior, it's not just about having my get-out-of-hell-free card, but Jesus is actually Lord of my life, and I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to commit myself to do what He tells me to do, to go where He tells me to go, to give what He tells me to give, to love who He tells me to love. And when you did that, there was a great shaking that took place in your life. And you found yourself in places that were sometimes very, very uncomfortable. i got to tell you, Jesus' zip code is not your comfort zone. Jesus will move you, sometimes in ways you don't expect, to love people you thought you'd never love and to serve people you thought you'd never serve. Heights of love. Depths of service that maybe you've never been there before. And what Jesus will do is to challenge you to ask a simple question. Do I really, 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 really love other people or not? That's pretty much what it boils down to. There's an expression, the proof is in the pudding. I chased a rabbit with that one because I wanted to know where did that where did that statement come from? Some of you may do the same thing. You kind of want to know where where the, the origin of the statements are. The actual original statement is the proof of the pudding is in the eating. That's the original statement. Either way, it means the same thing. You may have now some of you don't like pudding, so it's not a big deal for you, but uh you could have a great looking pudding laid out on the table. But until you taste it, you really don't know whether it's good or not. You know it looks good. You know it looks appealing. But until you taste it, you may not know whether they confuse sugar and salt when they put it together. You may have no idea until you taste it. The same thing is true with our love. We have, over the course of these last few weeks, been in this emphasis called Love Does Christmas. And if the disappearance of the book's and the, the, the wristbands and the cards or any indication, you're out there expressing love to people on a regular basis. We've been, we've been talking about that. But the proof of love is in the doing, not the saying. We can say all day we love somebody. But until we act, until it becomes real, it's not real. When I am doing pre-marriage counseling and even in weddings, I take them back to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is is how God defines love. Not Hallmark love, okay, but how God defines love. And this is what it says. And I want you to hear this because you need to understand that this is not just for husbands and wives. It's hard enough with husbands and wives. But this is not limited to your family. This is not limited to your friends. It's not limited to your church family. There is really no, the the lines around these verses have been erased by Jesus. Love is patient. 
Try that the next time you're on the interstate. Okay, that's me I'm talking to. Never mind. Love is kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It it doesn't dishonor others. In other words, it's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't put itself in the middle. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, it's not bringing up everything that you've done in the past every time you get into an argument. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. You hear that in a wedding, you just go, oh, isn't that sweet? But God's talking to you. It's not just the guy up there in the tux and the girl in the white dress. God's talking to you. And he's saying real love. Hey, these are the ingredients in the love pudding right here. Does your love look like this? Are you loving like this? Not just those immediately around you, those who are, who, who you like, but are you loving everybody like this? Here Jesus comes into our neatly arranged life with our carefully drawn line. And he doesn't come in like a bull in a china shop. He comes in like the Lord of the universe. And He begins to work in your life to change your heart so that you can love people like you've never loved them before. And some of you are asking, how is this even possible? That's a good question. That's a question I ask nearly every single day. God, how can I love that person? And I want to tell you something. If you attempt to follow Jesus on this pathway of love, you will fail miserably and you will fail often. It's not easy. We trip over our humanity every other step. Maybe the best question is not, how can I love like this? Listen, maybe the best question is, why should I love like this? If we, can, if we can answer the question, why, then we can count on God to give us what we need because God will supply all our needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible with God. So if I can answer the why and get over that hump, get to the other side of that, then I can let Jesus help me with the how. So what's the answer to the why? Well, we don't have to, we don't have have to guess because Jesus actually told us that. In the, in the end of verse 35 and, and end of verse 36, it says this, then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high because he's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. So you go, okay, all right, first I get it. There's reward. I like reward. I like that. 
Okay, that means if I'm loving people and serving people in this life, then when I get to heaven, I get to cash in the chips in heaven. And yes, there are tangible rewards in heaven. There are. But that's still a worldly way of thinking, isn't it? That I'm working here. It's kind of like saving now to spend later. If that's the way we're thinking, we're missing it. Because look at this. The greatest reward is what it says after that. You will be called children of the Most High. You will be children, sons and daughters of God. And this is the neat thing. And my mind immediately went back to the parable of the prodigal son, not to the son who left, but to the one who stayed. Do you remember what happened when the other brother came back after wasting everything and coming back and he was, you know, just covered with mud and pig poop and all that stuff. And he came back and his dad just welcomed him home and he got ticked off at it. And he went to his dad and said, Dad, he says, listen, you bring this son of yours, son who's out there, been spending his money on prostitutes, been throwing all away. He broke your heart. He broke, broke your commands. He just did everything. And now he comes back and you, you killed a fatted calf for him. Him. Why, Dad, you didn't even give me a young goat to have a barbecue with my friends. And I want you to notice what the... It's not up here on the screen, but you can go back and read it. I want you to know what the father said to the son. My son, everything I have is yours. Now think about this. The greatest reward that you or I can have is to be called children of God because everything is His. And if everything is His, I will lack for nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. The greatest thing we could receive from God is for Him to receive us as a child as his son, as his daughter. And if God's our dad. I remember the first no smoking campaign that, that I can remember, and this is a long time ago. Some of you are old enough to remember this. It was called Like Father, Like Son. There was a, a father and a, a young son, and they were they were walking out, and the, the son was following in his... You've seen how, does, how children follow in their dad's footsteps, Okay. Son was following his footsteps. Everything that dad did, the son did. And when the dad went over and sat down and put his back against the tree, the son sat down and put his back against the tree. And then the dad reached over and got his pack of cigarettes and lit one up. And he puts it down and the son reaches over and you see him grabbing the pack of cigarettes. And the whole thing was, hey, listen, be careful. You don't want to rub off on your kids. I want to tell you something. If you spend time getting to know God, if you spend time getting to know your heavenly father, it'll start to rub off on you. It'll start to change your heart, change your life, change your priorities. So what does it say? What does it say that this God that we have, this most high God who is our Father, what does it say He's like? He's kind. Listen, listen. Not just He's kind to His children. Not just He's kind to people who listen to Him. Not just He's kind to people who stay in line. He's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. And if He's our dad, and we are to imitate Him, 
then where we draw the lines, we've now got to go, we've got to go erase those lines. We've got to buy one of those Mr. Clean pad things and just take it completely out. Because we've drawn lines where God hasn't drawn lines. He is kind. That means his, He's actively loving those who are ungrateful and wicked. And so Jesus ends this little segment with these words. So you, you, you as kids, be merciful. Show mercy. Just as your Father is merciful. Like Father, like child. That, my friends, is an incredible challenge for the week leading up to Christmas. But it's also an awesome opportunity. God wants to take you places you've never been before. He wants you to experience things you've never experienced before. It begins by walking with Him. When you come to Jesus, you not only come to get fire insurance, You come to Jesus to follow Him. So where is He leading you? What's His call in your life right now? For some of you, the call is, hey, listen, you have never trusted me as Savior and Lord, and today, today, I'm calling you. Here's my voice calling you to come, follow me. Receive me as Savior. Receive me as Lord of your life. And you can do that today. For others of you, God's calling you to deeper levels of commitment in your life. Maybe He's calling you to to set aside a time for prayer and studying His Word. Maybe He's calling you to to get engaged in in a ministry, in an activity, a place where you can serve Him and express that love on a on a regular basis. Maybe He's calling you to a small group because you need that encouragement and that strength that comes with numbers that I'm not in this all by myself. And maybe, maybe the call this morning is simply to repentance. That you need to come and say, listen, I made that decision a long time ago and I said, I said with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, but I've been living like I'm Lord and This week I need a new start. The good news is God's ready, willing, and able to give you that new start. Even now. Whatever it is Jesus calls you to do, this is your time, this is your opportunity. Is it scary? Yes. It is scary. But I want to tell you, it's the thrill of a lifetime. Let's pray. Father, I do thank You for Your Word as You speak to us today. I thank You, Lord, for Your call because You do call us. And Lord, I pray for those who are struggling right now with that call. That call to surrender and allow Jesus to be Savior and Lord of their lives. That call to connect 
with other believers in the life of a church that call to serve, to that call to share a witness of who we are in Christ and how we got there. Lord, I pray that you would move in those that you're calling to repentance today because having acknowledged you as Savior and Lord, they've lived as if you weren't. Lord, we thank you that you love us and you loved us so much you sent your Son. And now, Lord, as we respond to you, we want to love like that. We know we'll trip over our humanity day in and day out. We know that we'll fail and fail often. But we also know if we're committed to go where you lead us and to do what you call us to do, then we will experience life on a level that we've never experienced it before. And the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that we've been talking about these last few weeks will fill our lives. And so, Lord, have your way in us right now. We respond to your call in Jesus' name. Amen.